Welcome to Journals of Self-Discovery. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. I have a couple of announcements for you. Number one is that my book is finally in print. And that title is Subtraction, The Simple Math of Enlightenment. And you can order that on Amazon or at your local bookseller. If you want a preview of what the book is about, I've created a special page that's just for subscribers to my newsletter or you podcast listeners. And you can find that page at spiritualteachers.org forward slash preview. And if you go there, you'll see the prologue. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book. And basically, it's an informative and, I hope, entertaining look at the seven years of my spiritual path, which culminated in enlightenment. It covers a lot of my adventures and misadventures along the way, experiences fasting, spending time in solitary retreats, the way I used work as a spiritual practice, and, of course, my experiences with people such as Richard Rose, the Zen master from West Virginia, Mother Mira in Germany, and Douglas Harding. I encourage you to check out the book and let me know what you think of it. And especially if you like it, leave comments on Amazon because that will encourage other people to buy the book. I also wanted to let you know that the TAP Foundation's April meeting is coming up soon. And that's April the 6th through the 8th. And that will be at the Claymont Society in West Virginia. The theme of that meeting is called Steps on the Path. Paul Resendez will be there, who's been a guest on this podcast, as well as Paul Constant. And they'll have Bob Ferguson, who I did a documentary about a few years ago. I'll be there, as well as my good friend Mark Seabright. So it's going to be a great meeting. I would encourage you to check that out. You can go to tatfoundation.org. And you'll find an ad, I'm sure, for that meeting. You can find out more about that. This month's podcast is basically a mini-episode where I've collected some of my favorite spiritual poems and decided to read those. For a lot of my life, I was a person who didn't really appreciate poetry. But when I began writing as a spiritual practice, I found that as I sat and just waited for whatever would appear to appear... Well, what came to me were poem-like phrases. And since then, I've found a deep appreciation for that creative wellspring from which these ideas emerge. I think it's hard to find spiritual poetry. It's not hard to find well-crafted poetry, but it's hard to find poetry which really was written through someone who was connected to the source of their being and allowed that to come through and allowed that to shape those words. So I think these poems that I have selected, they carry that that feeling or that energy with them. If you want to know more about the poems and the books that they came from, you can go to spiritualteachers.org forward slash podcast and look for the spiritual poetry episode. And there you'll see the notes from this episode and the links to the books. So I hope you enjoy this, and next month I plan to have a regular interview, and I've gotten a lot of suggestions from you listeners, I really appreciate that, so keep them coming, and I will keep sorting through and 
interviewing those people that I can get in touch with. This poem is by Irene Palmer, and it's titled My Last Identity. Here, in my last identity, having become all I will ever be, there is peace, a peace of finality. Yet behind the threads of life there is a prevailing presence of something left unsaid. I listen to the silence of that faint voice that hovers on the outer edge of darkness. There is no desire to become entangled in life's emotional threads again. Ambition is laid to rest. No desire to become someone, for fame, to go to foreign cities to see the world. No harboring regrets of what I have done or didn't do. No worry what might have been or yet might be. The world is timeless. I am alone. And here are three poems by Patty Ann Rogers. The first is titled Tabla Rasa. The landscape in this country is entirely bare and blank, undistinguished by any feature, except for a stitch of swallows appearing and disappearing above the sky-smooth lake, in and out through the portals invented by their own journeys. Here, alone in absence, except for many tiny punctures in the overall, seeming like prints of thorny grass crickets, the pinpoint instincts of rock lizard toes, the stinging bristles of musk thistle and the lesser spikes of lattice spider. This is a dull, unbroken scape, except for a pinnacle, a balustrade of forest, except for a rip of hound yelping and then another, and the jagged red slash of a rooster's occasional chick-chitterichi, except for a multitude of cracks in the oblivion, through which appear many eyes, yellow of a black cat on a tile roof, pierce of praying gull, two glassy sprongs of woodland snail, old man in gray cap with cigarette. This country is still and void, except for a funnel of attention from which emerges an imagination lacking all countenance until it begins together with a skitter of lizard nails, an old man flicking ash, a two-pronged snail and its glistening swill, a vista of gull's eye at prey, the play of chichichirichi, a lake of sky opened by swallow doorways, to move into the creation of its own reality. This is titled The Background Beyond the Background. On an autumn afternoon, perhaps selecting apples from a crate, or examining pickled beets and onions in a jar, or watching two honeybees at one red clover, we stand unaware before a background of behest and sanctity. Or floating down a river through elm and cottonwood shadows, past sandbar willows and lines of turtles on sunning logs, over underwater thickets, bottom beds, or leaf roughage and mud, we are, all the while, made finely distinct upon a more distinct background of singularity. Anywhere we turn, this background stays, a domain for mortal and immortal, for crystal grids, for shifting furls of smoke, for structure and fallibility, for each nexus of sword and cross. A 
Atop a barn roof, a glossy green-tailed rooster with auburn feathers lifts his wings against the backdrop of dawn. Is it the passing moment of occupied event or the passing fact of barnyard mourning that creates the impression of presence before this silk of elusive light behind light? Like a clear horizon at the edge of a wide field, the background beyond the background of sky reveals most explicitly the figures of those that come before it. Elephant or ostrich or seed heavy grasses, saint, sow, runt or sire, summer lightning blowing ice, it achieves us all. Far, far beyond those mountains of stone and cavern against which I am outlined now, there is another background, translucent, stolid, eloquent, still. And this last poem by Patty Ann Rogers is titled Achieving Perspective. Straight up away from this road, away from the fitted particles of frost coating the hull of each chickpea, and the stiff archer bug making its way in the morning dark, toe hair by toe hair up the stem of the trillium. Straight up through the sky above this road right now, the galaxies of the Cygnus A cluster are colliding with each other in a massive swarm of interpenetrating and exploding catastrophes. I try to remember that. And even in the gold and purple pretense of evening, I make myself remember that it would take 40,000 years full of gathering into leaf and dropping, full of pulp splitting and the hard wrinkling of seed, of the rising up of wood fibers and the disintegration of forest, of this lake disappearing completely in the bodies of toad slush and duckweed rock, 40,000 years and the fastest thing we own to reach the one star nearest to us. And when you speak to me like this, I try to remember that the wood and cement walls of this room are being swept away now, molecule by molecule, in the slow and steady wind, and nothing at all separates our bodies from the vast emptiness expanding. And I know we are sitting in our chairs, discoursing in the middle of the blackness of space. And when you look at me, I try to recall that at this moment, Somewhere millions of miles beyond the dimness of the sun, the comet Baila, speeding in its rocks and ices, is just beginning to enter the widest arc of its elliptical turn. This next is a poem by Richard Rose, and it's my favorite poem of his, The Dawn Breaks. The dawn breaks because another day and night have died but the sky was there through all. The butterfly floats a moment, and then his dalliance is only an eternal picture. The breast flows with milk and is dry forever, and the lullaby of life and the ear that hear it weaken and cease. Nothing is happening, nothing is done. The sun rises in glory, and the lover stretches his shoulders with ambition. The sunset is forever, and the lover drinks of beauty, and beauty drinks of the lover, and life loses its pride in death. But nothing is happening, 
nothing is done. The I and the urge are beauty and life. The owner is disenfranchised. The holder lets go of his grasp, and everything becomes his domain. God is in his thought, and his thought lives only in his God. Nothing is judged. Nothing is known. Nothing is meaningful. Everything is perfect. And here's one more poem by Richard Rose. It's titled The Mirror. Who is it that speaks to you? Who is it that listens to me? If all is God, can we pretend to be the soliloquy of God? Can we pretend for a moment that we are all particles of God enjoying his divinity? A bird in the tree sings, saying, I am here now, I am here now. Oh, the glory of being here now. Oh, the glory of being here. Oh, the glory of being. Oh, the glory of. Oh, the glory of meeting a predator. And he meets a worm, which like manna is a delicacy, a divine aspect, a gift of God's own body in particle form. And he eats the worm joyously, God victorious and God experiencing destruction, God sadistic and God masochistic, God organic and God is fertilizer. Changing, ever changing. As decaying bird food is fertilizer, revitalizing less organic soil, creating a cradle for millions of microscopic organisms, all singing the praises of life with songs of exultation, anger, despair, and fear. All singing about orchestral soil and echoing the desire of God to experience all. Do we not hear the voice of God howling with funereal sullenness through the forest in the winter, roaring in cascading rivers, piercing his own sensitivities in lightning and ocean gale, feeling cosmic pain in the explosion of planets, in the quaking of planets, or in the divine breath of a hurricane? Are we not more fortunate than those who are, being there then, caught and frozen in winter wilderness, swept over the falls of a treacherous river, swallowed by an earthquake or incinerated by lightning, or flung to their death by the winds? Should we rejoice that God, through tiny human nerves, experiences all forms of horror and pain, despair and fear? But the God within all, in all now, witnesses that not all freeze, not all are drowned or torn to pieces. He witnesses this only through human nerves, in and through his audience of millions, through his millions of eyes, ears, and noses, that watch others die, butchered a million different ways, that watch others suffer, that watch others hope and lose hope, that witness instilled courage change to instilled despair and terror. Can we imagine the glories of a God so self-watching, so identified with us who are so identified with this pointless game? Unless we visualize God as infinitely introspective, that watches the eater and the eaten, the beater and the beaten, watches the millions uneaten observing the ones being eaten, watches the millions unbeaten observing the ones being beaten, there seems to be no point to this drama. And now he watches another group of observers, less numerous than the simple observers, 
those who watch the watchers, those who study madness and record madness in a way that pretends to be orderly and sane, who study observers in millions of reactions, singing the praises of God by a thousand different names, while they train themselves to act as rescuers, digging out God's victims from hurricane, earthquake, or typhoon, from freezing, burning, or drowning, from terror and desire and fear, from thinking about origins and destiny, from the anguish of loving, doing God's work and believing that God likes observers acting concerned, acting as though God as the victim needs rescuing, that God as insanity needs explanation, that God as the destroyer needs apology, or needs humans taking on God's sins by acts of pious asceticism. For God now breaks into many parts, observers watching observers, and observers of observers of observers. But which of these billions is really here now? Which of these particles among God's infinite number of particles is watching God? Is he alive to all who watch death and life? Is he alive to God, who rejoices in seeing God particularized? Or is he alive who is not among the myriad observers, the myriad eyes that sleep or remain less asleep? Is he alive who hears through millions of years of greater or lesser dependability? Or is he alive that turns his back on madness, on rejoicing and despair, on pleasure and pain, on gods and god particles, and who looks on nothingness with apathy and indifference, who laughs at the thunderings of hell and the shrill insanity of heaven, who feels with feelingness as only God can feel, but who turns once more back to his fellow man, saying, I have become a mirror. Look beyond my beauty, look beyond my ugliness, look beyond my wordlessness, my inarticulateness, my fractured mentality, for I have been back there freezing and exploding, burning and drowning. I have been the insanity of those observing. I have lost all my particles except that which is a mirror, which is nothing of me, but which gathers other particles which are inarticulate and which identifies with other infinite articulations of madness. I am that which gathers other particles, saying, Let us be mirrors. I am not a mirror of moaning and misery. I am not a mirror of praying and pleading. I am a mirror of the process called seeming. I mirror the seeming, watching the watching of seeming and dreaming. The puppets of the absolute have broken their strings, have formed agreements to dream dreams, have agreed to pretend to create other puppets, and have agreed upon madness together, until madness has become to them as reality, while unconsciously they hunger for the comfort of the guiding hands of their puppeteer. I am a mirror that madness looks upon and sees a hope surmounting foolishness. I am a mirror that reflects no madness and seeing nothing but a seeming of madness. I am a mirror that looks not to reflect love, for I perceive no love but a seeming of love, and I see no justice, divine or human, but a seeming of justice. I am a mirror that was not made and remade to reflect only seeming. I am a mirror also of myself, watching myself, watching myself, watching myself ad infinitum.
I am a mirror alive and aware, aware of being aware of being aware of being aware, ad infinitum, untimed and unspecialized, dreamless forever, not dreaming of life or dreaming of death, not dreaming of gods or demigods. I am a mirror with my back to humanity, vainly lighting a direction for puppets to pick up threads and contact strings to the absolute. I am a mirror facing the absolute. There is nothing to face until we turn our backs upon the void, upon projections, upon particularization, upon seeming. Until we realize we are not turning away from a void or from confusion or meaninglessness. Until we realize that we do not realize. Except that the Absolute has a mirror which it turns upon itself, saying, I have had enough of my adventure into endless possibilities of myself. And next I wanted to read a few poems by Kevin Shuey, who recently sent me his book. It's called Laughter of Water, Wisdom of Trees. This is titled Hope of Hope. Hope of Hope, the truest longing of the heart, a tender place of peace, so deep within, so close to home, so ancient and natural and real, so right. And this is but the smell outside the bakery door. This outstretched hand, the hand of a friend, is there if we would but take it. And someone shouts or a horn blows and we forget, and we forget. We look in our offices and banks. We search on our tables and in our beds. We seek in the faces of our companions. But what was it? We forget and we forget. In a mirror, in our own eyes, trying to peer into our own soul, there's a hint. Somehow, deep in there somewhere, if we could only remember, so real, so right. And this next poem by Kevin Shuhi is called These Gifts. To see some truth in a stranger's eyes, I feel is mine, but I can't speak it. The green light from April leaves that soothes my thoughts but cannot be translated. The easy slinking weariness of the feral cat. The gypsy dance of the wind in the birch. The echoing of the morning dove from the whitewashed wall of the church on the hill. These gifts are the hoarded treasure in this dragon's cave. When I fly at night, I am searching for the tale teller who will sing my trinkets to the world. But I fear his voice will be cold and weak, and the cave will fill till it's choked. Yet the sweet gifts melt into my mountainous heart. I gaze at the clouds and valleys, at the cypress and the tree, and listen, in the hope that some day what I hear will not be me, but just an empty boat adrift on still water. This is titled We Dance. We dance in unbridled joy, then try to draw the steps upon the floor. Pointing with zeal at painted feet on stone, we extol the virtue of such steps. But where is the joy? From whence has it come? While walking on a certain road, the light of perfect love dawns in our hearts. 
we note the spot, the day, the time, and of that place would make a shrine. Does his love shine on this road only? When the light, the order, the clarity, when the joy of truth shines forth, we cling to the shadows it casts. Listen to Rumi. His new rule is break the wine glass and fall toward the glass blower's breath. And here are a few poems that I wrote over the years. And this one's titled 18th Street Angels. The blinking lights of bicycles become angels bobbing between the blocks of 18th Street. And I can only gasp as they pour through me too, leaning against a lamp post, struck like Saul on his way to nowhere. Overhead, lights play on trolley lines, reflected headlights creating crests of light and troughs of darkness, rolling into the vast expanses of Folsom Street, their motion and expression of the freedom of perfect meaninglessness. I am walking on air, relieved of being anything, and filled with light arising as easily as these feet propelling me in the mystery. A subway panhandler strums a banjo, clearly waiting for me to walk across an expanse of tile and hand him a five-dollar bill in exchange for resting beside his lonesome notes. I shake my head, involuntarily shrugging off what has always been like a soaking rain so I can write words that run forward into nothingness. This is titled Corners. He prods the faces of a room once familiar, but now haunted in misty corners by the unexplained. His cane darts at forms that fade in the walls, wisp-like. Maybe, he says, it is those once here, but now crossing the intersection of this moment. His eyes a blue-gray fog need no thick lenses such as his son bought to see what matters. He sees and hears and knows well enough for the business at hand, for the pursuit of truth at the tip of a cane. Touch me, we say. I am real. Imagine a reel of film or bits of data with electric charge vibrating, stretching the bounds of their containers, threatening to spill order into gibberish. This chaos holds together only by the thought of existence. His nights fill with wails of white light, sharp noises that stop short and voices that mutter uncertainly. Whatever order there was is breaking. This is a story of disillusion, of a clockwork inside us spinning another minute, wearing another tooth, shaft, or spline, in time failing, in time all is failing. The spinning center of the thought of existence teeters to a stop gloriously revealing what remains. And this one is untitled. Floating in early morning denial of the impending rise of myself, I hear birdsong begin and end. The shake of a branch departed, the scuffling of feet on pavement, the rise and fall of an engine's toil. These sounds feign time, pretending to wake the sun like the will of some hidden god. I will never rise from this bed, for I am always and every moment dying. I will never rise from this dream, and the pieces will fall away. Birds, song, sun, breath, darkness, silence, 
becoming indistinguishable in their unbecoming. Love always tilts toward death, furling, shriveling, awaking is the first moment after which there is no moment but this.